Hi, this is Malia J, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee Podcast with your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchhart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard magazine, why deep fake vocals of music legends are on the rise. From Hypebot, how the kid Leroy went viral on TikTok twice, a case study. From Music Think Tank, Submit Hub Review, how I got featured on blogs and Spotify playlists. From Vice, vinyl is more popular than ever. Surprisingly, that's a problem. And TikTok news, including from the Daily Grind, going viral or black hole spiral. These stories and many, 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 many more on episode number 48 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Jay, how about that cool, cool, cool version? Wow. Of, yeah, that's, and that's Malia J. That is Malia J. Um, if you watched Black Widow, which was released mm-hmm. Friday, um, in the opening credits, they play that entire song uh, start to finish, and it fits so well, and it's so cool. And think about it. I mean, Nirvana is kind of one of those bands, you know, like the Beatles, like you don't cover... Uh, yeah, it's hard. These bands, unless you do your own thing, your own take, thing. and she yeah. really did. Uh, what a fantastic version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. 
And I guess, I'm guessing that she's had a little bit of reaction from that. Yeah, I was looking at the numbers just in the first 48 hours from when the film uh, went live. Now, remember, mm -hmm. it was in theaters, but it's also on Disney Plus. You could purchase right. it for about $30. So in that first 48 hours, it was Shazammed 175,000 times. So oh, wow. a lot of people were sitting there going, what is that? And hitting their, yes. their Shazam. And who is that? Yes. Yeah. So oh, it's wonderful. a single right now, but Malia has an EP coming, uh, I believe, in late August. So mm -hmm. watch for Malia J and certainly uh, uh, watch uh, Black Widow. What a, what a great version of that song. It is. And again, proving the, the, the pull of getting something in a, in a film or a television program, how yeah. important that is. Sync licensing, ours. man. It's, oh. it's a big deal, but it's also the quality, right, of the sync. It's one thing to have um, a part of your song being played in a, a game or a TV commercial or a movie, but to have the song in its entirety is a big deal. And to have your song in the opening credits of a Marvel mm -hmm. film that's a big enormous. deal. And she enormous. delivered. I mean, that yeah. is a phenomenal song. And it's getting so hard to make that happen if you're an artist because everybody wants the same right. thing. And when, you know, in our, in our, uh, I remember when we were back at Universal and, and you were, you were starting the, the, um, the digital label. Right. And, right. You know, that was one of the things that we talked about a lot is, you know, bringing artists in for that sort of, those sort of opportunities, how important that is. Yeah. Um, but now, of course, with the 60,000 tracks being added every day to the various distributors, um, it's more important than ever. And it's harder than ever. <laughs> right. So I would, only, yeah. I would only say that uh, that number is closer to 70 now. Oh, I know. I know. I, every I, every I, week I, we, I, we I, get I, on here and it's like next week you'll say, and 70,000. I'll go, well, Mike, it's actually it's closer. It's more like 74. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I know. I know. I know. It's, so, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a moving target. It is indeed. Well, Jay, let's talk about the good folks, the good friends that help us put the show together. Yeah. First of all, let's talk about HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music business and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is delivered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And Bands in Town, over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get their personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform, connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Big thanks, Bands in Town, Hypebot. And Jay, we, we, you and I were texting each other a few days ago because I had watched uh, Summer of Soul. Mm -hmm. or I, I, I started it, and then we then I had to pause it, and then I went back to it. Uh, that is one of the most talked about uh, documentaries, I think, of the summer, even though oh. you and I were weeks prior talking about 1971, the year music changed everything. Yeah. I loved Summer of Soul. I, I was blown away. I, I can't believe the footage and the quality of that footage, you know, Sly and the Family Stone and the Fifth oh, yeah. Dimension and Stevie Wonder. I mean, we could go on and on. I was I was absolutely blown away. I watched it twice. Now, this is kind of a one-off thing, whereas uh, mm -hmm. 1971, which you've been raving about, is an eight-episode, uh, I believe. Uh, eight parts, yeah. yeah. mini-series. Um, and I believe that this happened uh, was in 1969. Wasn't it the same year of Woodstock, but... but not exactly yeah. overlapping. 
and it was over, uh, I think it was over six weeks. So it was six different days in the summer of 1969, correct? And they did try to, so it was filmed, and they tried to get carriage uh, on one of the TV networks and, and, and get a movie company interested, and nobody was. How and, is that possible? Yeah. And then you probably have read the same article. So, so Questlove is the, is the executive producer yeah. of it. And he mentioned, I think he said like in the late 90s, he was somewhere, I think he said he was in Japan at like some cafe, and he saw some bootleg footage of the, he'd never heard of it. And um, what he didn't know was that it was essentially an all black audience. It was, it was just footage of, of, you know, from the band playing on stage. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then, you know, through a variety of, of, of uh, kind of not coincidences, but, but kismet you know he so he kind of came in contact with the people that had it and there was some uh, some footage that was found kind of at the 11th hour i think and it's it's really interesting and it's fascinating and you know 1969 that was a crazy year and um as 1971 was and yeah. so it's really fun to see you know but of course this was very much the black experience mm-hmm. and and there's some interesting things in there about because that was the the same summer as the moon landing and you know how ambivalent the many folks in that audience right. were because the comments were okay that's great how about pumping some money into this neighborhood into right. this community and boy you know as a white dude i remember the moon i was young but i remember it yeah and you know it's it's interesting getting that perspective and and i i can completely understand that sentiment yeah now. i'm a big so fan a lot of, of interesting nasa apollo Gemini, oh, yes, mercury are. all that but what i know from reading all those books is that backlash that there were actual songs that were recorded and released about you know basically why are you spending all of this you know billions of dollars on going to the moon when you have people you know that are struggling Sorry. exactly here yeah. and a lot of minorities yeah. And this documentary uh, really brought that home. Like they're interviewing people and they're like, I I don't care about that. You know, I want people to be fed here at home. Yeah, absolutely. But boy, it's worth watching. I think it's also playing in theaters, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is it? Yeah. But it's one of those things everybody is talking about it. I actually had lunch last week with Brian O'Neill. He's the singer and founder of the Bus Boys. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first thing, one of the first things I said, he's like, I can't, he's like 10 people literally today have told me I need to watch it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, so if you've heard about it from other people, listen to them and and watch it. It's really, I think it's on Hulu. And uh, and I guess it is, of course, at playing at at theaters if you're so inclined to go out. Yeah, I would just say that the the audio quality and the video quality surprised me. It was shocking how clear. I was expecting something like some of that crappy secondhand um, footage you see, you know, from those years, Woodstock, some of that. It, you know that there's good source material somewhere. Um, right. Yeah. Although I think it was shot on video, right? It was not shot on film. The, the uh, documentary? This, yeah. Summer of Soul. No, I mean the, 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 the um, yeah, but it's obviously high def video when they do the handful of interviews, but um, the original source material was video, so there's not like they're they're going to kind of capture that and have those vibrant, you know, it is kind of, it's video. It's yeah. video from 1969. Sure so looked good to it, me. It looked great, though. I mean, gosh, it was yeah. great stuff. So there you go. 19-year-old Stevie Wonder just killing, killing it. And playing the drums, yeah. too, which was awesome. Playing the drums. Yeah. Unreal. And the editing is great. Yeah. So. 
Anyway, by the way, the good friend that I get to do this every week with is Jay Gilbert. He's a curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which hopefully you know about. It's the weekly music news for the new music business. And of course, he's a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment. And the guy that I get to do this with is Mike Etchard, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. Yes, indeed. And let's let's jump in, Jay, because I got to tell you, the first story we're going to talk about today, yeah, it kind of freaked me out. I was just going to say the exact same thing, but go ahead. It freaked, it me, freaked out. me out. It freaked me out. So this is in Billboard, mm-hmm. and, and the title of the article is Why Deep Fake Vocals of Music Legends Are on the Rise. So deep fake vocals. I'm not even sure I fully grasped, grasped I can even say, not only can I not say the word, I didn't fully That's grasp easy it. easy for you to say. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of talking about, um, and it starts with, with talking about an art, or a, a guy, he's an artist, and he's, uh, he goes by the, the name of 30 Hertz, and he basically has done a track mm-hmm. with vocals from Eminem. And the way he did that was he collected some interview, f- uh, um, uh, not not footage, but like interview clips. clips exactly. And he kind of put together, you know, this kind of vocabulary with his voice, and then he wrote some stuff and yeah. released the record. Yeah, well, there's software and that you use. He he collects, yep. you know, those clips but there's this new software and they go on to talk about a couple of them in this article that you can use to kind of put this together and this took him i think almost two years to put together this isn't like yeah. an easy thing to do but what shocked me was well let me back up a little bit we've all seen the deep fake videos and yes. and sometimes it's almost impossible to tell there's actual apps that you can get for your phone that'll do deep fake videos that aren't yeah. super high quality, but they're fun to do, you know, put your face on a movie star or whatever, that sort of thing. Yeah. But the ones that are done right, it was really worrisome, especially, you know, in the political uh, arena, mm-hmm. because they thought that maybe people could post videos of people saying things that they didn't actually say, right? So it never really came to pass, but we, we were all familiar with you know, deep fake video. I hadn't really given much thought to quote unquote deep fake audio. And when I saw this article and I'm reading it, it doesn't hit home until you actually listen to uh, the pseudo video or lyric video here where, you know, he redoes my name is my Eminem and updates the lyrics. So instead of the Spice Girls, it'll say K-pop or something like that. and And it drops a Donald Trump reference. So you can tell that they put different lyrics in it um but i was shocked because if you would have played that for me and not told me there i would not have known that that was not eminem exactly so he uses a program called tacotron 2 which is a text-to-speech program uh developed by google that enables users to build a convincing model of an artist's voice by processing hours of audio from their songs and then isolating it into words that making formed into original sentences and flows and there's another thing he's using called lj speech which is a public domain data set consisting of a whole bunch of short audio clips of a single speaker reading passages so it's kind of this it's 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 not to do it right and well like you said it's not super easy but that doesn't mean it's gonna not be super easy in a year right and 
that's what to me is frightening. I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, and yeah, I mean, this guy did this in his bedroom. Yeah. So what happens when people get really good at this? I started thinking, what happens when somebody makes a new Prince album or a new Michael mm-hmm. Jackson album or Elvis Presley or Beatles, you know, with John Lennon and, and George Harrison uh, reanimated? It's That's what's starting to freak me out a little bit is I would imagine they will get that good at it where they can do those kinds of things. And it's one thing that, you know, we've heard stories about like a hologram, you know, you go to a concert and there's, yeah. there's Tupac, you sure. know, and he comes yeah. to life, but it looks like Star Trek in that, you know, that it's not really him there, that it's just light and sound. And, but man, this, this really had my head spinning. Like, what is this going to lead to? Yeah. And speaking of Tupac, this guy, 30 Hertz, he, he did take it and he did a, a Tupac deep faked song that manipulated his vocals to be about the death of George Floyd and a reference to Black Lives Matter. Right. And there was some um, there was some blowback. Yeah, and he kind of has apologized for that. He said he regrets doing the Tupac song. It was the worst it was the wrong thing to do. I wrote it early on before I had my rules set of only doing parody songs rather than original work. Um so you know, speaking of Tupac, he did that ironically. But what's even more interesting to me is that um, it, it's not really it's it's not um, against copyright to do this. Right? Not technically yet. Not well. Not yet. Well, it's exactly. like paying not for uh, spins on your DSPs. That's not payola because the yeah. airwaves are owned by you know, the, the people, the government, right. Whereas streaming is different. So I think this falls into that gray area category of it's not illegal yet, but gosh, it's maybe it will be. Yeah. Yeah. But it isn't yet. And so again, this is another, and unfortunately, you know, copyright law moves slowly. And so it'll take, even if they just, they decide they want to kind of somehow address this in some fashion, it, it take years for them to get around to that. Yeah, and so for this, it's going to be with us for a long time. But it's they mentioned that uh, deepfake audio has been used as a tool for criminals in the finance world. Uh, this researcher, his name is Rob Volkert, mm-hmm. uh, and he he helps financial firms detect deepfake audio fraud. He talked about the story of criminals using it to recreate the voice of the owner of a UK energy firm. It was so convincing that an employee was tricked by his so-called boss into sending uh, about a quarter of a million dollars to a Hungarian supplier. So, you know, there's some super nefarious stuff out there. You know, this is, compared to that, this is kind of small potatoes. But uh, still, it is a weird, weird deal. And yet, but we're also seeing this in film. You know, you're you're the able, the able, the, the ability to place dead artists into film is getting more and more mm-hmm. accurate and scarily hard to detect. And so you'll have James Cagney perhaps in an, in an, in a current movie. And it's like, that's just, you know, it, it's, I mean, I'm, you know, we, 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 we've played in, in the land of technology for a long time. Yeah. But this stuff is freaking me it's out. It's freaking me out too. It, by the way, it took him about 10 months, not two years uh, to, oh, to gotcha. put this yeah. together. That was my bad. But still, it's not an easy thing to do today. It's if you're going to do this, get the software, do the research, you're going to put some time and energy into it. Um, but to your point earlier, 
um, it's technology. It's going to get easier and easier. And it's going to pretty soon, it's going to be like an app from T-Pain, you know, that auto tunes. It's going to, yeah. you know what I mean? Something that yeah. it's really scary. I don't know where it's going. I know, you know, if you read the article, there are other people who are using it in, in music and in releases, um, they, they have this Travis bot <laughs> song, you know, that gained uh, press attention and reviews and, and YouTube views. So it's getting more and more popular. It's still in its infancy. Um, but I think there's a couple of things. There's gotta be some rules and regulations around this at some point. Um, if you're using someone's voice in your song, the, the way that 30 Hertz said is this is like Weird Al Yankovic. You know, this is a... For him, for yeah. For him, he's, it's he's, a parody. He's, yes, exactly. And by listening to the 50 Cent, I would agree with that. He's It's funny, and it is a parody, but it's to be determined whether it's going to be covered by those rules. Well, and we both know people that are involved in uh, on the management and uh, talent side of of managing estates. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, basically artists that have passed away and it, I mean, I, it would make sense for the heirs potentially to want to license. I'll just use Whitney Houston as an example. Um, not because I have any relationship to that, that estate, but you know, what if, what if, if the heirs of that estate want to use and create a track, a new track with Whitney Houston and they approve it and they, you know, what, wh- Wow, that's an entirely different can of worms. Right. That you know, estate-approved usage of right. deep fake or vocals. right. It could be duets with popular artists right. of today. Yes. Duets have always been popular, and yes. we, we've seen with, this happen before, um, just not with this kind of technology. So this this entire article was just so well written, and it's, it's <laughs> yes. it just blew me away. This was written by Thomas Hobbs, by the way, uh, for, for Billboard. For Billboard. Yeah. And uh, it was a lead story in your morning coffee this week, and I got a lot of uh, email and texts about it. Like, is this for real? I got many of those. Like, is seriously? Is this a thing? Yeah. Jay, you're freaking me out with it. Right. Why, why did you put this in? Yeah, yeah. it's... It's a real thing, and boy, we're going to be, I just have a feeling that we're going to be talking about this again sometime in the near future. Deep fake um, audio. Yes, 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 yes. All right. For moving on from that, this, the, the next one out of Hypebot, how the, how the Kid Leroy went viral on TikTok twice, and it's a case study, and it's with Amber Hornsberg. Who, Amber Hornsberg. Amber Hornsberg. Hor- it's pronounced Hornsberg. I know. I, I want to put Le- some yeah. other letters in there. Yeah, she. I when I first met her, I you know I said it was Amber Horsberg. <laughs> I think she, I had her on the podcast, and I said it wrong, and then I realized it later when I watched some of her videos where she said, "Hi, I'm Amber Horsberg," and I'm like, "Oh, like Edinburgh." Okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horsberg. But, but Amber is she's a friend, and she's a fantastic um, writer. She comes from downtown. Um, she's worked with a lot of brands and labels, and she has a course. Um, that you can actually take if you want to learn some of these tips and tricks called School of Deep Cuts, um, which is fantastic. I've seen some of them. Um, she's got a newsletter. She's got a blog. You, if you don't already, you need to uh, follow Amber Horsburgh. And, and she um, occasionally will do these case studies. And this one ended up uh, with our good friends at, uh, at Hypot. Yeah. So if you don't know who the Kid Leroy is, 
he's all of 17. Yeah. And you probably have heard the track. It's a super awesome track. Um, but yeah, and, and I mean, you, you swim in the field, you swim in the pond of TikTok far more than I do. But I think one of the most interesting things about some of this, and we, she she uses the firm Vi, Vira, I can't even say, not only can I mispronounce her, do I mispronounce her name, but I'm mispronouncing viral, viral, virality, virality, that's what it is, virality. It's easy for you to and say. You, so, getting something viral. Yeah. And basically, virality, you know, sure. it's virality yeah, or virality. Uh, she basically saying it comes from doing the work. It can never be a priority. So how many times do you sit down with an artist manager and they say, I want a viral video? Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And guess what? I want to win the lottery. Um these are there's certain things you can't plan for. No, and that that's that's one of those things. Virality is one of those things. I, I wish and you could. You know, that's like saying, you know, I want a, a really popular song. Well, that's the key, right? Is you're trying to hopefully write something that will appeal to people and will become popular. Um, but you know, we like to say that a playlist is not a marketing plan. Um, I had a friend of mine from TikTok say, you know, that he wants some shirts that say TikTok is not a marketing plan, right? <laughs> and we're gonna. Get into um, a TikTok story at the end here, but but on this one, yeah, the kid Leroy, you know, he he started off, you know, on TikTok and basically, you know, started making videos about some other very popular TikTokers, and ended up doing collaborations with Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber. And look, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. First of all, he's very good. Uh, he mm -hmm. does what he does very well. He's a good-looking kid. And so, you know, the timing was right. But that, that line that you said that Amber said that, you know, virality comes from doing the work. It can never be a priority. Virality can't be your goal. You just have to do the work, and with luck and timing, you might strike it. Lucky, as you said, I think that is the key takeaway from this, this article because her case study is awesome, and I encourage you to go through step-by-step step, the videos that he released and then getting in touch with people and collaborating with them. Mm -hmm. Super great. I mean, the, the performance on Saturday Night Live kind of pushed it over the edge as well. So, But she kind of lays it out because there's a release cadence involved here. Yes, a release cadence. And what I, um, and what I also kind of, one of the, the, the lines that jumped out at me too, she says, success on any platform means speaking the language of the yes. platform. Yes, And that is a really, uh, it's a really, it's an excellent way of thinking about it, which is, you know, you, you have to, you're, you're in that swimming pool. You have to do what... It's got to be authentic, right? Uh, yes. They can smell that a mile away. If you, if you go right. on, you know, for me, they'd be going, okay, boomer, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and again, when she does these case studies, it doesn't mean that if you follow the same things, it's going to happen to you. She's, you know, again, right. like, you know, we've, we've talked about economics a fair amount on this show and economics is actually much better at looking backwards than, than looking forwards. And so that's kind of, the, she, she breaks it down kind of how this happened, what, you know, what are the right things that he did mm -hmm. But then so much of it is just luck and timing, and you can never forget that. Yeah. And, you know, so when you're in that meeting room and somebody, you know, the head of a department says, we got to get a viral video, it's like, 
Yeah, yeah, we do. But yeah. that's, you know. And millions of streams, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So exactly. I, I encourage everybody to kind of go through this, uh, you know, case study. But it basically trying it drives home the point how important TikTok has been to so many mm-hmm. artists' careers. And again, it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's not like you're going to follow this and immediately be successful. But I think if you do look at this case study, you're going to learn some techniques on on how it went viral and and viral right. is is really cool and tiktok is really built for viral um but at the end of the day you know the harder i work the luckier i get jay's grandfather yeah. you know what i'm saying there, there you go exactly and as she says you know stack your deck to increase your chances if you're an artist who's wanting to replicate this success it is very important to know and understand that Virality is an outcome, but it should not be a plan and never a goal. Yeah. Right there. Absolutely. Be native uh, Be native to the platform. Use what makes sense for you and pour gas when you see a spark, which, of course, I is love always what you, which, what you do in marketing. You yeah, know, is, exactly. Is, is you're looking for, I love that yes. line because I was talking to a friend of mine who runs a major distribution company, and he was saying that a lot of people don't know what distribution does versus what a label does. And yeah. he said the easiest way to explain it is distribution puts gasoline on your fire. Yeah. They don't start your fire. And, right. and right. I've never forgotten that. And I think it's really, really important. Um, she also says here, viral content is a small part of a marketing plan, but you should have a larger career goal. For the Kid Leroy, it was creating albums and collaborating with other musicians. So bingo, again, this is you know a, a, a pull, uh, taking a page from what you say often, which is some of these individual things are not marketing plans. No. They are elements of marketing yeah. plans, but they are not marketing plans. Yeah, I think what happens is sometimes people get... Uh, successful on one platform, whether it's YouTube or TikTok. And then people want to replicate that because they see it as that silver bullet. You know, that's, that's what I need. I need millions of streams. I need this viral video. I need this. And look, people are buying likes, people are buying streams and people are trying to do all of those things to jack up numbers. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the engagement, you don't have much. And I will tell you about TikTok that the artists that I have on TikTok are actually finding an audience faster than on any platform I've ever seen. But just because you're finding that audience quicker, it's actually more difficult to get them to engage because they're flying through their feeds looking for these little bite-sized chunks of entertainment. Can it happen? And does it happen? Absolutely it does. But remember, it's... You know, we'll talk about this. There's there's another story near the end here. Um, The Daily Rind, which is uh, the amazing blog and webpage um, from The Orchard. Um, they do kind of mm-hmm. a deep dive on TikTok, yeah. so we'll save some of that uh, for that. Okay, but yeah, but great stuff. And then there's also, you know, um, a video of her explaining a lot yeah. of this stuff is, is linked in the in the article. So it's it's awesome. Yeah. It was a great article and really fascinating. Again, it's, it's this does not mean that if you do exactly the same things That's he right. did that you will have this success, but it's basically examining what he did, how, how it was strategic, and yet also some of the some of the luck that plays. I think that's so. it sounds pedantic, but I think you have to look at what people are doing that is working and what is not. And you try to do more of the things that people are doing that are working and less of what does not. Again, that's oversimplifying something, but there's a lot of truth uh, to that. So if you like the video that she's posted there, um, check out her school of deep cuts 
Um, yeah. It's school.deepcuts.co. She has some really great courses on there. Um, if you're a college student or maybe if you're in the business and you want to learn more about different aspects of the business, uh, check out Amber's School of Deep Cuts. Highly recommend it. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Uh, this from Music Think Tank, Jay. Um, Submit Hub review. It's a review of the of the platform Submit Hub. Yeah. How I got featured on uh, blogs and Spotify playlists, and I've I know of it, but I haven't spent any really time with it to be honest. Um, but it's an interesting. It's a, it's a platform that com, uh, that connects musicians with curators and influencers, right? Yep. So you can submit your music to bloggers, Spotify playlists, record labels, SoundCloud curators, YouTubers, Twitch streamers, radio stations. Yes. Yeah. So far, so good. Well, right? I've used them on on many um, campaigns. Uh, my clients mm-hmm. have, and for a new developing artist, it can be a really cool thing. Um, they're required. Their, their network of curators are required to listen to. Uh, I think it's twenty seconds of the music, and then they have a couple of days to respond. And you'll you'll get some responses back. Um, Ari Herstand wrote a really good article about his experience with SubmitHub. Is it a silver bullet? No. Um, but it, for a developing artist, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One, it's very inexpensive to do. You can have a very small budget and reach some of these folks. And here's the thing. You'll get feedback, and it may not be feedback you like. But yeah. if they like what you're doing, and I've seen this happen... They'll add you to their college radio stations, their YouTube channel, their their smaller playlists. And listen, that's all good. I would rather be on a lot of small um, outlets like this than one large, mm-hmm. you know, New Music Friday or something like that because right. you're up there a week or two and then you're gone. And these uh, playlists especially tend to, and even some of these blogs, if they like what you're doing and they talk about you, it's Typically, it's going to stay up there a little while. Right. This, by the way, was written by Caleb Murphy, Caleb J. Murphy. Um, I, I didn't see how much it costs. You, how much does it cost? You can um, set a budget. Um, I've, okay. I've had a couple of clients that had budgets in the, like, $100, $150, you know. Um, it You can have a very small budget and do these things. But, of course you get less and less curators with less money, but I would encourage you to take your very best track, your most mm-hmm. accessible track, um, and do a campaign with submit hub and watch the data and see what, what happens. Listen to the feedback that you get back. Again, it's not necessarily for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it's definitely one of those tools that, uh, like like playlist push is is another good example, and the reason I use Submit Hub and Playlist Push is because they're probably the only couple of platforms that I would recommend because they're not using spin farms, bots. You're not going to be yeah. pulled off of you know they're not guaranteeing you anything. They're not telling you you're going to get on a DSP curated playlist. You know that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. you know I'm a big fan of testing things, and I was very fortunate. Uh, for about five years to have a client that wanted to test everything. And I, I love that because we could put money into not a ton of money, but for something like this, we might put in a thousand dollars for a couple of artists and, and then, you know, do a baseline, run the campaign, look afterwards and see what happened. Sometimes you don't learn a lot, but every now and then you do. Something jumps out exactly. Yeah. Well, and again, that, but that and, and like everything, it speaks to the 
long-term aspect of, of strategizing for artist development. You know, if you're looking for the quick, I want to get my thing up, I want to get, you know, I want it to explode. Well, maybe that'll happen, but probably not. Yeah. You know, this it's you have to play the long game. And I and I do like what you say in terms of of, you know, testing it and seeing what works because it might work for band A and for band B. It's completely waste. It's a complete waste of time. Yeah. And that's the thing. Even if you're marketing music, you can use your past experience to inform future clients. But it doesn't mean you just follow the, you know, follow the template. Right. Because that's. That is about as old school music business as it gets. Yeah. And we were we worked it during the template days <laughs> where you kind of said, okay, video, radio, touring, you know, th- these are the big, that's the, right. the big things. That's right. That was a simpler that's, business. It's a simpler time, Jay, that's, which is good because I'm a simple human. Well, um, the, the, the only thing that I wanted to make sure we pointed out in, in this article, you know, they talk about blogs and playlists. And at the very end of it, they talk about the pros and the cons of using SubmitHub. And the pros are kind of obvious. The cons, one of them is that not all curators will have quality blogs, playlists, et cetera. I, it's hard for people to know what is quality and what's not. It can't just be based mm-hmm. on monthly listeners or followers. Um, one of the things that I read recently that I thought was interesting is that DSP uh, curators and algorithms look at tastemakers and tastemakers may not be the obvious ones like pitchfork a tastemaker may be mike etchart's blog where he's the first mm-hmm. guy to discover the kid Leroy, right he might have been the first one and now they're watching you and you don't know it you're just an, a unique identifier and they're watching right. you so then when you add the new malia j they're like wait a second, this guy's, you may not have a huge following, but you're a tastemaker. And I've been told by several people that that's really how it works. It's not all about just sheer numbers. Interesting. Interesting. Well, as it should be, as it should be. Well, great stuff worth again, reading. And you know, it's another arrow in the quiver. It may work really well for you. It may not, but it's worth giving it a shot right? And, you know, dip, dip in your toe. In. And if so. you want to read uh, a really good article about someone who's done campaigns uh, through mm-hmm. SubmitHub, uh, Ari Herstand um, yep. is amazing. Um, his uh, blog is Ari's Take, and he wrote a piece called How to Submit Music to Blogs, Spotify Playlists, Labels, Radio, SubmitHub Review. So go to Ari's Take, his blog, you know, search for that article, and you'll get kind of a a step-by-step of how he's run campaigns, what things he found to be good, indifferent, bad. Um, so if you want to go a little deeper, check out Ari's take. Awesome resource, by the way. Yeah. Awesome resource. So ironically, Jay, so the next one is out of Vice. Uh, and the, 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 the title of the article is Vinyl is More Popular Than Ever. Surprisingly, that's a problem. I happened to go to dinner last night with a, a really good friend of mine who is... I won't say where he works, but let me just say that he is super involved with the production of vinyl. Okay. Super involved. And so it's it's ironic that this article was one we've chosen to talk about today. Um, and it is so true. It is incredibly popular, but the backlog currently for vinyl production is absolutely insane. Yeah. It's really... It's in the next it's year. A, it's a, easily on the fastest track. You're looking at seven to eight months for the most part, yeah. and it is backed up. I mean, it is incredibly popular and doing super well. Mm-hmm. But the irony is, they just can't get it going fast enough. And 
as you and I know, even though they should be, they're publicly traded companies, and I, I sense this from the conversation I had last night, sometimes the major labels are not... You know, as we say, it's the six P's. Proper planning prevents piss poor performance. Classic. And people are forgetting that I'm sure you want that out by whenever. But guess what? They just aren't making stuff. They, they, it's, it's, it's a finite production. There's only so much bandwidth. There's only so much they can yeah. do. Yeah. And so a lot of stuff is just, I'm sure you want it to come out, but it's not coming out. No. And you better just kick back and relax because it's going to come when it comes. Right. And There's a little wiggle room is. in there. I, I was having a really great conversation with Sean Murkowski. Uh, he mm-hmm. used to run sales for ADA. Now he runs a pressing plant, and he was quoted in, I believe it was a Billboard article, maybe Rolling Stone. Pardon my memory. I'm old. I forget things. But a couple of weeks ago, we had this uh, uh, an article about vinyl, and he was quoted in it. And so we got on the phone uh, afterwards, and we talked through some of it and mm-hmm. it's there's so much more to it than even that article yes. um because yes covid uh was bad but on top of that a lot of these machines are old and are starting to break and they're getting new yep. technologies in but you have to have people who are trained to operate these systems yes. and there's not a lot of those people and then with petroleum products which vinyl is these pellets there are shortages and challenges there he was even telling me about how everybody wants a variant a colored vinyl variant right yes so whenever you do that you have to break down and clean the machines and that takes time and you you may be a label um that has a certain amount of um dedicated um, production through one of these pressing plants. Let's say I'll make up mm-hmm. a number. It's 50,000 units. You can go in there and that's a wiggle room I was telling you about. You can go in there and say, okay, I have 50,000 units for August. I know I was going to do, you know, 10,000 of this, 10,000 of that, but I have this new, you know, Billie Eilish record. So I want all 50 to go to yeah. that. And that kind of jockeying for position is, is also making things um, really challenging, especially for indie artists to get things yeah. pressed up and you know getting them to market on time. You're seeing a lot of releases now that come out for streaming, download, and CD on one date, and then three months, six months, nine months yeah. later, the vinyl. To kind of put it in, in numbers perspective, uh, there was a Billboard article a little while back and, and an anonymous music executive speculated that pressing plants around the globe have the capacity to manufacture about 160 million albums a year. But to meet what the market wants, they'd have to make somewhere between 320 and 400 million <laughs> That's more, right? Albums. That's more. <laughs> exactly. That's like double. Um, That's crazy. More than that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that gives you an idea of just kind of where they are. And... Um, you know, there's other things, too, that have to, um, my buddy was telling me last night that, you know, so even even when your slot is up at the pressing plant or when it's time when they're going to run your vinyl, you have to have the jackets delivered by then. So if there's a hiccup and there's and even at the jacket side of things, there's everything in the everything in, in the, the food supply chain, chain yeah. is, is right. backed up. And so if there's a hiccup. They're, they're not going to run your vinyl because the jackets haven't arrived. Right. And so, you know, it's, it, is a, um, it is a delicate dance. Yeah, and look what happened under COVID. A lot of people like me went 
oh, well, I'm stuck at home here. Um, yeah. I started buying more vinyl. Um, a lot of it through, you know, Record Store Day or through Music Millennium or Amoeba or, mm -hmm. you know, local stores. I was rebuying my favorite albums, not necessarily the best albums in the world, but my favorites growing up, you know, that I listened yeah. to in high school and, you know, Boston's first album, you know, things like that. And it was a lot of fun finding some of those. But pretty quickly, I noticed that there was like a dozen titles that nobody had. So I went on to Sound of Vinyl, you know, which is Universal's mm -hmm. own vinyl store. And all 12 of those titles that I looked for were out of stock. One of them hasn't been in stock for a year. Right. So it just goes to show you, if you have some capacity you're going to print up the things that are in the highest demand. It just makes sense, yeah. right? You're not going to go through and uh, look at some of these deeper catalog tracks. So I don't see light at the end of the tunnel for a while, but it's a lot more complex than some of these articles are making it seem. Right. They did mention in the article that while the main cause is the spike in consumer demand, there's also the influx of big box chains like Target, Walmart, and others getting into the market. Have you seen that? Like yes, my I local have. Target here has a lot of vinyl albums. Mine does too, and it says uh, the, the, those big box big box retailers now account for over thirteen percent of sales, up from four percent just back in twenty eighteen. Big boxes buying into vinyl has changed the picture. This is Brandon Sievers. He's the CEO of vinyl manufacturer Memphis Records. Mm -hmm. In twenty twenty, the average order on a title was thirty seven hundred copies. Now the average order is seven to eight thousand. Um, and then, of course, earlier this week, or not too long ago, Amazon announced their Record of the Month program. Yeah. Um, and so they're saying, like, you know, in the past, say a plant was going to press 20,000 of a Rolling Stones or Zeppelin. Now they're going to do 25 or 30,000. So all of this stuff is just like... The perfect storm. The perfect storm, exactly. So that is why everything is so tight out there. And But again, and what's, you know... If you and I had had this discussion eight years ago, I in no universe could I, would I have expected this no. demand, and and of course, and it's the dream of of uh, every label. There's no returns, you know. It's it's yeah, a one way a, sale. There's pretty good margin on vinyl, like and a lot more than streaming, margin. downloading. Yes, you know, it's a premium uh, product, and you know, I'm finding that. It's a lot of fun to go back and grab those. Uh, the kids are calling them vinyls, right? <laughs> You're going to buy some vinyls. Um, I may have mentioned before that uh, a dear friend of mine got me the Queen box set, which has all of their studio oh, yeah. albums, and each one's yeah. on 180-gram and a different color for each one. A couple yeah. of them are laser-etched, and it comes with a coffee table book. Wow. I mean... Yeah, beautiful and and expensive yeah. as it should be you know there's a lot that goes into that and it's a premium product and you know my kids don't care about that but i do mm -hmm. and so you know and i think that is again one of the challenges of um you know the the record business likes as few things as possible they, they want to do like one or two things to get to make money and sometimes to really maximize your profits and to do right by the artist you need to do more than one or two things. And this is one of those one or two things. You gotta, this is what you gotta do, yeah. you know, to, to continue the love affair from consumers with your artists. Right. And they're doing Super something important. that they haven't done 
in years. And that's re yes. rebuying things that they already have. You know, yes. you can stream that queen, all that queen music is on Apple music, Pandora, Spotify, sure. every it's, yeah. it's everywhere, but it's a whole different experience. And for those that play a lot of vinyl, they totally get this. Like you have to be engaged because you got to flip yep. that, you know, after five yeah. songs or so, you're going to have to flip that vinyl over and, Absolutely. and it just, it makes this experience different. And there are those that say that it's warmer and it's better recording or not recording sound quality. And I'm not going to argue with that because I, I'm not an audiophile. It, it sounds fine to me, but that's not, I don't listen to it because it's warmer. I listen to it because I can read the booklet. And that's a trend that I think is really cool now is that these reissues of albums are coming with the original booklets. I got uh, yeah. Elton John, um, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. Oh. And it comes with that really, well, they combine the two. But when you bought it back in the day, it came with two separate books, one with a story and one with lyrics. Now they've kind of got it yeah. combined. But, uh, you know, Kiss Love Gun comes with a little pop gun. You know, the, the attention to detail on some of these reissues is pretty cool. But this stuff matters, by the way. And if you're buying vinyl, you know, and, and what, what some people have done is they're not going back to the original tapes. They are, you know, they're, they're using maybe digital masters to, to press from. And you can't do that. You can't do that. Well, talk about you know, that for a second, because I don't really even fully understand that. What What's the difference between a master, you know, for somebody who's making CDs and a master for somebody who's made vinyl? Well, one is digital and one is going to be analog. And so you do, whenever you're doing anything like this, you really want to go back to the original tapes and do a, a specific mastering session for that format. And ah, there you go. From you, the original you, you, masters. From the original masters, the original tapes. You know, so you got to go back and and the technology keeps improving in terms of how we transfer from those original tapes. Um, whether it's going to be a digital uh, consumption or an analog consumption, mm -hmm. but you do have to do the right thing. And people find out if you don't, and that matters to vinyl buyers. It's got the the, the chain, the signal chain has to go back to those original tapes. Otherwise, there's much less interest in it. And they've, you know, all, all the blogs and all of the websites mm -hmm. uh, supporting vinyl, they will call out labels. That oh, I know. Right. Do you remember yeah. Ice Magazine? Of course. Oh, my gosh. I used to love Ice Magazine. Uh, and there's some other ones, and I won't go down that rabbit hole. But I will tell you that I, when I worked at Universal, I ran an ad in Ice Magazine basically asking people, what do you want to see reissued? Because we had things yeah. that we wanted to decide what were what we should be reissuing or not. But what I found funny is these people are hardcore, like what you're talking about. Yeah. There were people that would say, oh, you put out that album and there's 3.5 seconds between the tracks and it should have been 2.4. Right. And you're like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. But part of me is oh, like, yeah. wow, this guy is paying attention. Right. Because they're the super fans, right. and that's you know that's who you want to engage with, and but by the same token, do not cross them. You know, do it right. <laughs> and but you know one of the things that we, we we I think we've talked about a little bit in the past. You know, when you think about just in terms of the knowledge base at a label, um, you know the people that knew how to do vinyl, they're long retired. So for the most part, there's a lot of uh, of of relearning this the, the steps that are important in this, and it's. It's a dark art, you know? It's not set and forget. There's a whole bunch of, 
ears that need to be involved, people listening and saying, mm, that, you know, we could do better than that. And yeah. it's the, 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 everything from, from the transfer of the original tapes to, you know, when you're listening and mastering it, it's, it's special. And it is. It's, 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 there's not a magic box. No. You just run it through and then it's done. Yeah, and they do these, for those that don't know, they, when you create vinyl, they send you a test pressing. Mm-hmm. And I've done a lot of vinyl for my clients over the last few years, a lot of vinyl. And that's why I have reference speakers and I have the yeah. simple turntable and everything's flat, you know, and I put it on and you have to listen and yes. you have to, you know, if somebody's got the TV on in another room or whatever, you got to shut that down and just really listen because once in a while you'll find issues, you'll find pops or you'll find and that's why they typically send you three to five copies of each piece of vinyl that you do. Yeah, so if you find an issue on one, then you grab the next test pressing and see if you can absolutely. replicate it. Yeah. And it's a really interesting process that I don't think a lot of people think about. But um, I haven't had a, a ton of problems because the pressing plants that we use are pretty good. But, but you do have to listen because those problems do pop up. And God help you, if you were in charge of saying thumbs up or thumbs down and you didn't really listen. Oh, my gosh. There was a, I'm not going to say which major label, but, but it uh, rhymes we're with. familiar with. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but there was a, a, I think it was actually a, a, a Blu-ray, a concert thing of a very famous artist. And um, the people at the label didn't, they, they, they didn't have the expertise and they didn't take the time to really QC it. Go through it. QC it. And boy, there were some problems. And it ended up being a shitstorm. And the artist was rightly just incensed that nobody took the time to listen to it. And boy, you got to be careful. These, these, these are the babies that we are responsible mm-hmm. for. And, you know, yes, I'm sure that person was busy that day and had a bunch of emails to respond to. But you need to go, as you say, and shut the door. And watch it from front to back. Carefully. Watch it again or listen front to back. Compare it to other products that are in the same genre. It's tedious. It's It's a lot of work. It's tedious. It is. But guess what? Do you want that phone call from the manager? Uh, No, No, thank you. No, 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 you don't. Yeah, exactly. All right. The last one, Jay. Talk a little about TikTok news. Yeah, TikTok. We haven't talked about Going viral or black hole spiral. I thought that was such a great title uh, by Molly (laughs) Weeks. This is at the Daily Rind, which I mentioned. This is uh, the distribution company, uh, The Orchard, you know, uh, the major indie owned by uh, Sony. Fantastic uh, distribution company. I've followed their Daily Rind for many, many years. Uh, So many great stories. Um, next to probably, you know, Randall's team over at Symphonic, you know, they, these guys are one of those top ones that show you how to do things um, yeah. because there's a lot to learn and there's new platforms like TikTok, for example. And, you know, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this. I brought this up because people are afraid of things they don't understand. It's human nature. Yeah. And I get a lot of calls from people who say, I didn't want to bring this up on the call, but, you know, like, what the hell is TikTok and why should I care and, you know, what's going on here? And so this this has been a very popular article this week. And part of the reason why is people don't really understand TikTok. And 
the way that you understand TikTok is you get on the platform, you download the app, yeah. you look at some, you know, follow some of your favorite artists or just follow some artists on TikTok, watch what they're doing, mm -hmm. see what's working. Um, I get this really cool email every week from Johnny Cloherty's, uh, company Songfluencer and what's cool uh, sign up for this email because what's cool about it is they do a lot of TikTok influencers but they show you in their email each week like what are the trends is it making candles is it lip syncing to I was made for loving you by Kiss which was in I think last week um, mm -hmm. is it a challenge there's lots of challenges that come up so find out what's going on on TikTok because there's currently 800 million active monthly uh, users on TikTok, and it's been downloaded 1.5 billion times. Unbelievable. Yeah. Projected to have 1.2 billion users in 2021. Uh, yeah. It's a little popular. And, you know, and again, and the further you get out of that 16 to 24 kind of, that's really the, that's the TikTok user base demographic yeah um yeah yeah maybe, and if maybe you know, that's most of the people but as well, the article says i mean everybody is on tiktok absolutely Every, we you know i belong to this artist management collective and we had a gentleman on um who was a tiktok um creator and he was in his 50s and doing really well. So is it mainly 16 to 24-year-olds? Yeah, maybe. But as they say, it's an app for all ages with uh, varying communities. Yeah. But it's a great article. And they've got, you know, kind of a, a PowerPoint on there with uh, it's 47 pages. So I won't go through any of it, to be honest. But it really gives you a great overview and a breakdown of, of basically how to get up and started. And yeah. Like you said, the the stuff that's on, and I've been working with the orchard for gosh, I a long time. I mean, yeah, this is two thousand and seven, I think. Um, there, it's a wonderful organization. Oh, yeah. great folks that work. There. Oh yeah, Trisha Arnold is their head of uh, digital. I think globally now, she's a friend, one of my favorite people over there. Um, and you mentioned this this PDF, this presentation um, that they have on here. Typically. They do that for all the different platforms, but it's for their clients. If like if your music yeah. is distributed through uh -huh. uh, the Orchard, and I thought this was really interesting that they put this one up here, basically for anybody who reads their blog yeah. to to grab. And I highly encourage you to do that. Their um, their decks on uh, these different platforms are super valuable. Yeah, Molly Weeks, by the way, is the one who put this article together. And the, the website is dailyrindblog.com. So if you if you can't find it, that's where it is. Awesome. And on that note, Jay, let us, it's actually time to wrap up. We, we, we started recording today much later than we yeah, usually do on Sunday. Yeah, I had a photo great. shoot this morning, video shoot, and we started, usually we do this in the morning. We did this uh, a little closer to noon, I think. And uh, it's, it's it different. Yeah, it works for me, too. Anyway, well, there you go. Uh, always great seeing you. Great show. You too. Great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And big thanks to our friends over at Hypebot and Bands in Town. Boy, we sure appreciate we sure the do. support. Awesome. Fantastic. And uh, thanks for listening, folks. This has been episode number 48. We are marching towards our first year anniversary. Yeah, we might even have a surprise. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. We'll see what happens. So thanks for listening on behalf of Jay Gilbert and myself. We sure appreciate you spending some time with us. And we'll be back next week on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee 
the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.